this is Jane from the Science News Desk. We have a breaking story from our real science radio man in the street, Fred Williams. Jane, there's utter pandemonium out here. What we are witnessing is the aftermath of Paul Ehrlich's claim last night on 60 Minutes that too many people, too much consumption and growth mania is killing the planet. He's the same bozo who wrote Population Bomb in 1968 that predicted the planet was doomed by the 1980s. Big oops on that one. It's hard to believe this doomsday quack is still around. It turns out only 13 people tuned in to watch 60 Minutes, but news spread fast across TikTok and Snapchat, and we're seeing them taking to the streets, running around in a frenzy. There's a hippie guy over here stumbling around with a sign that says, Free Tibet. I tried to interview him, and he told me to put on a mask. Here's a guy with an Al Gore shirt with a sign. Let's see, it reads, uh, let me see here, free mulch. Not sure who mulch is. White is the path, Jane. Back to you. Thanks, Fred. That was our man in the street from Real Science Radio. I think I know where that free mulch sign came from, Fred. It was next to a mound of tree bark coming into work. I bet he stole that sign and thought it was someone being persecuted. Dark days in society indeed. Welcome to the brightest audience in the country. I'm Fred Williams, host of Real Science Radio. And I'm Doug McBurney, host of the Weekly Worldview, an amateur comedian and philosopher, not necessarily in that order. Good okay. to be with you, Fred. Hey, likewise, Doug. So today's show, we're going to take a look at a really weird but super fascinating phenomenon called quantum entanglement. But before you turn the dial or browse away from the MP3 file on our website or tune into another podcast... I promise everyone that the bird's eye view of this is actually going to be really interesting. But before we get to this, Doug, Happy New Year. Hey, same to you, Fred. Yeah, yeah. don't let your eyes glaze over out there. I mean, especially if you're driving. And <laughs> especially because quantum entanglement is going to be more entertaining and enlightening than you think. I, I guarantee it. So, so, Fred, what did you do for Christmas? Well, you know, our Christmas was awesome as usual. You know, we always celebrate Christmas at home. The way we look at it, we're not sure if Santa's going to show up if we aren't there. And the big guy, he really looks forward to those cookies and milk that we put out for him. So, but we do occasionally drive across town, something like that. And in this case, we went to my brother and sister-in-law's house for Christmas. It was awesome. So, Doug, how about you? Nice, nice. Well, you know, we almost always stay home around the McBurney compound for all the holidays. And we always make Colorado green chili cheeseburgers. Have you ever had one of those, oh, Fred? Oh, man, I have. Actually, not one of yours, but that sounds like an interesting thing to have on Christmas. Oh, yeah. Now, we don't put them out for Santa because uh, <laughs> we we heard he was lactose intolerant. So we only did and no cheese for Santa. And, yeah, the, and That's these, a good idea. It's an open-faced cheeseburger, flame-grilled only, no frying the patty. And you got cheddar cheese on a toasted bun, and then you drench it in green chili at least as deep as the top of the bun. 
we always do them for either Thanksgiving or Christmas or both because we're, we're only allowed to eat them twice a year. They're not really good if you're trying to watch your weights. A bit problematic. But anyway, we had oh, some man. friends over last Thanksgiving, Fred. We had some friends who were from the East Coast. We had some friends who were from the West Coast. And they were all equally offended that we would do that to a cheeseburger. To take a cheeseburger <laughs> and then drench it in green chili, they were all in shock. And we thought that they just don't taste things right. They... We didn't understand it, Fred. I think that uh, Colorado green chili, it's just misunderstood by the rest of the country, or at least on the on the coasts. You know, it's just I didn't understand. Did 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 you do anything fun over Christmas or New Year's, Fred? Well, you know, we did. But first, you know, you're making me feel guilty now because I probably have the same thing you just described maybe once every two weeks, not just twice oh. a year. <laughs> There's a place called the Tavern up near where I live. They have this really good smothered cheeseburger with green chili up oh, to the top yeah. of the, just as you described. So I probably need to rethink that maybe a little bit. You're making me feel guilty, but yeah. So I had a really good time off. We, I had two weeks off from work. Our company had a shutdown and I spent a lot of that time actually working on a paper for the ICC, which is the international conference on creationism that they now hold like every five years. And I committed to writing a paper on modeling, on geophysics models, and whether or not they're useful or what are their pitfalls. And I was really way behind. I mean, I had maybe a tenth of it written going into December. So I oh. used that two weeks to just cram. And every morning, I would be up at like five in the morning, probably for four hours, I'd work on that thing and then work on it again at night and just kept at it. And there was a few days, it was the whole day working on it. So... I actually enjoyed it. You know, I was off from work. It was it was a good time. And so, Doug, actually, I think you were almost in the same boat. I think you were farther ahead than me, but you were writing a paper on the moon. And I, you know, I actually saw your final transcript. You were kind enough not to send me yours beforehand to proofread because you knew I was busy on mine. But I read yours and it, wow, super interesting. I'm looking forward to having that as a show. And that paper should definitely be accepted by the ICC. But we're all keeping our fingers crossed because they have kind of a view on the hydroplate theory. And we'll see if they'll let some of these papers through because they're definitely, they support the hydroplate theory and or they attack plate tectonics or catastrophic plate tectonics. Yeah, Fred, I did have an opportunity to proofread your geophysics model paper. Wow. Oh, that's right. You well, did. And I appreciate your comments and help on that. I understand it so much better now. So in that respect, you wrote a successful paper in that you helped someone who's not really qualified in any way to have any opinion on modeling in general. You helped me understand what modeling is and the pitfalls, everything you talked about. So I think your paper will be accepted or should be. Let me put it that way. I'm not I'm definitely not going to bet that it will be. I wouldn't put money on that. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think it should be. And I, I want to make it clear to everyone out there, I was not on the moon writing a paper. That's not what happened. We <laughs> Nicole and I, we worked from a few secular sources and papers from creationist authors creationist researchers like Wayne Spencer, Danny Faulkner, Michael Ord, but mostly from Walt Brown and in the beginning. And we wrote a paper to offer the ICC and anyone who's interested in reading it, just our best explanation for why the moon looks the way it does. 
and we discovered some things about hydroplate theory that we didn't know. And we discovered that the secular version of how the moon came into being is one of the most fantastical stories you'll ever hear. Any one of the stories you pick are, it's like a science fiction. It's just bizarre how the, it's how to explain the moon without a creator God. It really gets silly. So we did a little bit of that. And, you know, we hope that we can help people just understand and consider our evidence for what made the man in the moon when you look up and you see the man in the moon. And then maybe someday, maybe someday we'll answer the questions about the mechanism or, or maybe a better term would be the mechanisms, plural, mechanisms of action that initiated the flood, which, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Walt Brown himself has ever quite nailed down or, or made a statement as to what was the trigger hmm. that initiated the flood. As far as I know, I don't think he ever came to a solid conclusion on that. And I hope, I hope we can help to answer that question by just maybe by just inspiring other people to think about it. And I hope we can do it right here on RSR in 2023, Fred. I hope we can talk about it. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about your paper. I'm looking forward to that. It's, it was so good. And, you know, it reminds me, the, the quote that we've mentioned here before on the show, that one secular scientist said about the moon, that the moon is simply an observational error. It just doesn't exist because <laughs> <laughs> they can't explain why it's there. So the guy was actually right. being honest in, in his hyperbole and humor to explain right, it. Right, right. <laughs> All right. I don't want to just uh, go off on the moon. Fred, well, I like what you, you said us... because I think I did say you were working on a paper on the moon. <laughs> so you weren't literally on the moon working on some paper, right? You know, some high school paper for uh, some college course you're taking. No, you're... Un unfortunately. You know, though, you know, Fred, it's quite possible if we can keep civilization from falling into the hands of the madmen that in my lifetime, it could be not that unusual for someone to be writing a paper on the moon. Well, that's People true. Travel yep. to the moon, you know. Yep. But I don't want to filibuster just about the moon, Fred. I, I, can you give us your bumper sticker version of your take on geophysical models? Hmm, a bumper sticker version. You know, I guess I would quote the famous British statistician George Box when he said, "All models are wrong, but some are useful." And oh, what? That's <laughs> The reason I wanted to write the paper is because for years, and still today, um, John Baumgartner, he's a scientist who has a PhD in geophysics from UCLA. He's a brilliant guy, but he promotes his catastrophic plate tectonics most of the time by referencing a model that he has, a computer simulation that he says shows how this can happen. And it's just amazing that so many people see that. And because he's such a smart guy, they just take it for granted. But in my professional opinion, and I do have experience with models, I was the team lead at Micron for modeling their NAND device and modeling their NAND controller. The odds of his model being true or correct or even close are less than a half a percent. I mean, there's just no way. And the biggest flaw in models such as his is there's no way you can validate it. You can't validate that kind of software. There's also all kinds of other problems that are listed in the paper. And it also deals with tomography, you know, the seismic models where they, they look at earthquake sound waves or human generated sound waves using devices. And they come up with these maps of the surface underneath the earth. You know, some of them are fairly decent, 
But even the ones that are using the most advanced technology, they're still wrong most of the time. They're still having to readjust them. They use those to try to find oil. The oil and gas industry uses those to look for natural resources, you know, especially right. oil and natural gas. So those things in themselves are typically not right. They maybe give them a little bit better chance of finding oil. And when they actually have deep borehole data, they compare to what the seismic images were, oftentimes they don't match. So it's a constant feedback mechanism. So I get into that. That's where those models are also wrong, but some can be useful to some degree. They increase the odds of finding oil, but there's still lots to be done there. Anyways, that's that's not a bumper sticker version. Sorry, Doug. The bumper sticker <laughs> version was all models know. are wrong, some are useful. <laughs> So well, that, that, I don't think a bumper sticker version is possible, <laughs> but, but I, I, so Fred, I grew up out in West Texas and there's one thing you learn in the oil business. If you're an investor in drilling wells is you better be prepared to lose your money because almost all of them are dry. Almost all mm -hmm. of the wells that they punch in the ground looking for oil are dry. So you better be rich and you better need a tax write-off if you're looking <laughs> to invest in drilling for oil. And Fred, by the way, over the holidays, I watched a video of a creation speaker giving a lecture in front of, it looked like a church group, but it was a lot of kids, and he implied that Baumgartner's model is so accurate that it can do something like predict the weather. Yeah, it's amazing. So many people are <laughs> so unaware. His model would never even see the light of day in the engineering world. It just would not. I mean, and the problem with his model, you know, some models can be useful, like showing how something can't happen, like Mendel's accountant shows how evolution right, cannot right. create cannot create information in a genome. Baumgartner's model, if it, if it has any use, it actually shows that catastrophic plate tectonics can't happen because he has to add miracles to his model to make it work. So it's right, astounding right. that so many people in creation land have fallen for this whole idea that his model supports his theory and it doesn't at all. And engineers who are familiar with modeling, they know it doesn't, but most people in the audience, they, they don't know this. So we're hoping the paper gets accepted and kind of exposes this problem because it's just, it's a myth. His model is a being sold as something that it isn't. And that's one of the driving factors I wanted to write that paper. Well, and, and, and we love all of our brothers in the creation movement who are trying to promote the idea that there is a creator God. I shouldn't say the idea, the fact that there's a creator God and to, to help to inoculate children from an atheistic worldview. But we have to be careful about the science. Yeah, we yes, we do. we have to keep each other accountable. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, Dr. Baumgartner, he's a the young earth creationist. He loves the Lord. He's, he's done some really good work. He actually was one of the authors for Mendel's Accountant. So he helped develop that. And that was a useful model. And then it shows that evolution can't happen. And I talk about that model in my paper also. But even that model's wrong. You can't use that to predict how populations are going to grow genetically. But it definitely shows that even with the most favorable assumptions put into the model, you can't get evolution to happen. So in that regard, it definitely serves a purpose. Fred, you mentioned at the top of the show a newsflash the big news from science and the scientists who teach us all the science. Yes. We've got to get to that. The end of civilization we're used to. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it's one of our old favorites, Dr. Paul Ehrlich.
because Paul Ehrlich wrote a book in 1968, the population bomb. I'm sure everybody remembers that was the book that predicted basically mass starvation and something like the end of civilization. If I remember correctly, it was somewhere around 1982, everything was supposed to come crashing down because of the population explosion that had all the Marxists and the leftists terrified back then. Do you remember all that? Yeah, it was going to end civilization. And obviously his uh, prediction didn't come true. You know, the thing is, I was thinking about this, Doug, if his prediction had come true, then Al Gore would have never had a chance to write the inconvenient truth and, and also be wrong about everything he wrote about. <laughs> sure. Was it an inconvenient truth? Was it, I know I know it was an inconvenient something with, with Al Gore. I thought it was an inconvenient masseuse. But anyway, yeah, Ehrlich's book <laughs> predicted, Ehrlich's book's predictions were disproven by reality, right? Which is, it doesn't get much more, conclusive than that does it fred when actual reality refutes of uh, <laughs> I, and yet for some reason he still has currency over at cbs and this past sunday he's invited on 60 minutes to talk about well fred he talks about too many people too much consumption and growth mania fred growth mania is killing the planet and devastating wildlife by the way just for good measure just in case you didn't feel bad enough about the planet, he's going to mention the wildlife, too. Yeah, and he says that humanity is not sustainable. To maintain our lifestyle, <laughs> yours and mine, basically, for the entire planet, you'd need five more Earths. Not clear oh. where they're going to... I'm not... And he goes, I'm not clear where they're going to come from, he claimed. Wow. Need five Maybe. more Earths? Well, wait, wait, Fred. Maybe they'll come from the multiverse. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, yeah, if you've got multiverses, then hey, you can come up with a million more Earths, right? Wow. That's right, that's right. And that's going to uh, play into see. our quantum entanglement whole thing that we're going to talk about here. We promise pretty soon, but yes. we oh, had to we'll, get to we'll this. Get into, yeah, we'll get it. This, this actually has some bearing on quantum entanglement. Accidentally, Paul Ehrlich stumbles backward <laughs> into something relevant. <laughs> anyway, so the, the host... Over there at 60 Minutes, whose name escapes me because I haven't watched 60 Minutes since 1978, I, I think. So, and, and me and like 390 million other people haven't watched 60 Minutes since 1978. But the host asked Dr. Ehrlich if maybe, you know, you have been accused of being an alarmist, right? <laughs> and, and Ehrlich said, I was alarmed. I am still alarmed. All of my colleagues are alarmed. And, and if there's anyone else in the room, I'm sure you're alarmed. You're alarmed, aren't you? Aren't we all alarmed? Anyway, well, it was, you know, it's really embarrassing. I guess, I guess if you'd say that, you know, we're alarmed, you know, we actually believe in the Big Bang here at Real Science Radio. We just don't think it's oh. happened yet. You know, <laughs> there, there, you yeah, go. there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth at some point, right? That's right. And the old earth That's is right. just going to be burnt away. So I'm not really alarmed by that because, you know, hey, that's actually good news for us, right? I mean, hey, trust in Jesus and you get to spend eternity with him and not be part of that burnt up earth. That's right. And you don't have to live your life in fear like Paul Ehrlich and alarming yourself because the thing about Paul Ehrlich, Fred, is this is all he's got as far as he knows. He has no hope and faith in 
God or redemption or Jesus Christ or forgiveness for all of his manifold sins. And this earth and this life is all he perceives as real for him. He doesn't realize that he's actually going to exist forever and that if he doesn't change his ways, that he's going to suffer forever. And so I yeah, can and, I can understand why he's alarmed. Yeah, and well, and he's not far from finding out. I mean, this guy's a he's ninety years old. I mean, he's major codger status. So. <laughs> major codger. <laughs> and now the crack staff. Hold on, we had the crack staff working on this. Paul Ehrlich is actually a physician. He's actually listed as a what is it German? A German physician. So in Germany, this guy may have actually examined patients. Is that's that's uh hmm. that's tragic to think about that. But anyway, Ehrlich closed out the the segment there on sixty minutes, talking about there's been five mass extinctions of the ancient past, and he says that Fred as if he knows it's a fact that there have been yeah. five mass extinctions, and then he says they were caused by natural calamities volcanoes and an asteroid and he says that as if he knows that's a fact yep and pretty much everyone listening thinks he does know that as a fact yeah and then and most he goes people on are to gonna say, believe it oh sure well he's a scientist you know he's he a goes PhD, on to say a post hole digger that's that's someone who comes along after the hole is dug a post hole digger <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, he he is. I I don't know if he's a PhD, but he he is a doctor. Of, yeah, of it turns some out sort. he does have a PhD. Uh, our crack staff just showed me that he was a PhD and uh, he got it in 1957. So that kind of tells you right there how oh, old this man. guy is. This guy's really ago, close to the edge. Ago. He's really pushing it. He is. Anyway, he he says that if the science is right, humanity may have to survive a sixth mass extinction in a world of its own making. So just like most of the uh, leftists and the Marxists, they insist that we're destroying the planet and it's our fault. Yep. And it's our lifestyle as usual. Yeah. And don't forget it was Jacques Cousteau who said we need to kill like 50,000 people a day to save the planet or something like that. Oh, you know, wow. and everybody loves Jacques Cousteau and then they find out about this, but a lot of people don't know. I mean, that guy was, he was a crazy yeah, well, and I think that there seems to be a pattern amongst very rich, very famous people who are held in high esteem, whether it's in politics or science or pop culture. They seem to get into this pattern of self-hatred and this delusional fear that they're destroying the planet. When I mean, if you stand around and look at the planet, it, it looks to me like it would be awfully hard to, for us to destroy it, Fred. Not, not that we couldn't mess it up. Don't get me wrong. But for us to bring it all to an end, I, 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 I think these folks are delusional. Oh, yeah. I just found Cousteau's quote. In order to save the planet, it would be necessary to kill 350,000 people per day. So I was way off when I said 10 or 20,000 a day. He wants to wipe out cities per day. I mean, 350,000 people. I mean, this wow. Cousteau guy, he was delusional. Th this idea of needing a lot of people to die, it really has taken hold in the, in the elite, atheist, scientific, and political community. It's, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, it is, actually. It reminds me of the show we did with Brian Lauer on The Big Reset, and we'll definitely have him on again this year. 
So, Doug, that was kind of a neat little rabbit trail we were off on, but we probably got to get back to the quantum entanglement soon here. But I want to make an announcement to our audience that's listening right now. It's Friday, January the 6th, and tonight at St. John's Lutheran Church is a seminar by Dr. John DeLancey, and it's called Bringing the Bible to Life. So it's tonight from 6.30 till 9 p.m., and then on Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 2 p.m., you'll also be given a free lunch. And so I highly recommend going to see this guy. He's led like 61 Israel tours. He's the director of Biblical Israel Ministries and Tours, and I hear this guy's is fantastic. So if you can make it down to St. John's Lutheran Church, again, that's tonight at 6.30 or tomorrow at 8.30 in the morning, And Doug, I don't know if you knew this, but there's a special connection with Real Science Radio and St. John's Lutheran Church, or at least it's the connection with me personally, and the late Bob Inyart. It's actually where I met Bob. Oh, wow. Yeah, Bob was debating an old earth group called Reasons to Believe. They had a chapter up in Boulder, and it was him and a couple of guys, and I remember like a Hebrew expert from Maranatha University and Bob, and they were taking on like two professors from CU and then this other guy that was a rep for that group. And, yes, yes, I, I remember. I oh, remember. yeah, we still sell the video in the store. You can go to rsr.org slash store and just look for Bob Debates Old Earthers. And that's the debate. And you know who won the debate because we sell the debate and reasons to believe they don't sell that debate because it was a slaughter. <laughs> that's right. So anyways. That's, that's that's the scoreboard right there. Who sells the tape? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the history behind that was our local creation group, Rocky Mountain Creation Fellowship. We were challenged to have that debate with the reasons to believe group. And one of our board members wasn't quite into doing it. And so there was other guys on the board, including myself, were like, hey, we got to have this debate. And so somebody mentioned, and I can't remember who it was on the board, says, oh, Bob Inyard will do it for sure. And sure enough, Bob was all over it. And after oh, yeah. the uh, debate, I went up and introduced myself to Bob and, you know, we quickly became friends. And I think it was probably within a month of that happening that I was his co-host on Real Science Radio. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So that place <laughs> has awesome. a special, yeah special place for me. I'd encourage people to go to this seminar, and I know there's going to be a fair amount of folks from the old Denver Bible Church, which is now Agape Kingdom Fellowship. So you'll see some of the elders there, and I think some of the members from that church there, and probably many more people, because this guy's pretty well known. Again, that's at St. John's Lutheran Church tonight. Very, very cool. Very cool. Well, Fred, you had mentioned population growth, I think, at the end of your bumper sticker version of uh, uh, geophysics models. And and so we got off on our uh, news story, but we've got to get into quantum entanglement. We we need to start tangling on this. I concur. So, but I think we're out of time. <laughs> that's the problem. I think we might be too. And I wonder if we should just get to that next week because we actually have a couple of more news stories that I wanted to get to that are super important. But something I wanted to get back to, and it's actually big news, it's related to the hydroplate theory, and one of our friends at RSR, Kevin Lee, he was given the opportunity to go to the Institute of Creation Research to present the hydroplate theory to their staff. I mean, that is huge news. This is the group that Henry Morris started, I think, back around 1970, and it's one of the big four creation groups. You've got Answers in Genesis, Creation Ministries International, 
the Creation Research Society, which is the oldest group in the, in America. That one started in 1960. And then you've got ICR, Institute of Creation Research. And Randy Gazula, and I hope I said his name right, he's now the president of ICR, and he wants to – I get the impression that he might actually support the hydroplate theory. I, I can't say that definitively, but at least he thinks it deserves an audience. So he had Kevin Lee go out there and present the hydroplate theory. Well, I mean, that's just that's great yeah. news. We're making progress. Yes, yes. And I, I got a call from Kevin, and basically he said that a number of people there – heard details about hydroplate theory that they had never heard before. And it was received warmly and positively. So you really can't hope for anything better than that. And very thankful that Randy Galuzia has a, an open door and, and is willing to hear about hydroplate theory. It's a tremendous development, bigly huge, just like you say, and we <laughs> should all pray for Randy and the folks up at ICR to, have an open mind. Yeah. And for those who are new to Real Science Radio, we promote the hydroplate theory here. And we believe the current theory that most geologists accept is catastrophic plate tectonics. We believe that is highly flawed. The odds of that being the correct account of the biblical flood is really low. I mean, I, and I know it's just an opinion, but I think it's less than a half a percent chance of that being correct. There's yeah. so many problems. Well, it, ha it has about about the same chance as plate tectonics being real, which, yeah, less yeah. than half a percent. Yeah, and I think it has even less a chance than that because catastrophic plate tectonics has to appeal to miracles to rescue it, to right, even right. give it a chance. It has to appeal to numerous miracles. And yeah. It, the, yeah. the, only chance, the only chance plate tectonics has is if there is a multiverse and they can start looking for one where that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's really good news, and we're encouraged by that. And we'll just keep pushing the hydroplate theory here. We do believe it's the correct account of the flood. You know, we could be wrong, but right now the evidence tells us that that's the most likely explanation for the global flood. There may be certain aspects of hydroplate theory that may be proven wrong down the road, but there's so many parts of it that just make a ton of sense and the, the science behind it is just overwhelming. And speaking of that, Doug, there's also a new release, a recent release of a book called 20 Reasons to Question Plate Tectonics. I was honored to get a pre-release copy of this book, and it's just fantastic, and it's going to help even further to expose the problems with not just plate tectonics, but catastrophic plate tectonics. Because if plate tectonics isn't true, then catastrophic plate tectonics crumbles because it relies on much of plate tectonics. That's right, Fred. If plate tectonics isn't true, catastrophic plate tectonics gets subducted too. Hey, that <laughs> rhymes even. Yeah. I, I could be a hip-hop artist. But hey, Ellis Hughes has released the new book, 20 Reasons to Question Plate Tectonics. And Fred, you can order it now in the RSR store. You can go to rsr.org. And go into the store and buy a copy there. That's the number one place we suggest that you buy it. And for groups who are ordering it in bulk, which some homeschool groups and church groups might want to get this book in bulk, you can go to ingramcontent.com. We'll post these links up in the summary, a variety of different places that you can go to to get 20 reasons to question plate tectonics. Uh, you can also get it at Amazon. I'll mention them. We encourage everyone to uh, get yourself a copy and we encourage you to buy it at real science radio. And I'm hoping 
hoping maybe she'll come on the show this year. Fred? Oh, absolutely. We need to have her on and go through some of the finer points of her book. And you know, her book was actually super helpful for me when I was writing my modeling paper. I was so glad to have that pre-copy. You know, especially her section on the deep boreholes that they've dug in the earth, like they've got the deepest one in the world is in Russia. And they have another one that's almost as deep in Germany. And the fact that she lists, you know, the things that they were shocked about that they discovered that, you know, seismic tomography didn't show them would be there. And that was really cool. You know, they found, for example, crushed granite with salt water, you know, flowing through it, which, mm. you know, <laughs> that rings a bell. <laughs> Sounds something like the hydroplate theory might be able to explain really well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was unaware of the seismic tomography they had done before they did those deep boreholes. So I quickly added that to my paper. My paper was pretty much done. And she, along with others, including yourself, were reviewing the paper and proofreading it. And what a great argument to add to the paper, because that, that's a really good example of where seismic tomography isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then. Okay, so it is decided. We will do our best to convince Ellis Hughes to come on the show, a future show here on Real Science Radio. There are so many good reasons to reject plate tectonics, and we'll have Ellis on to explain it all to us, Fred. That sounds great. We're out of time, and we never got to quantum entanglement, so we're going to get to that for sure on the next show, I promise. And so that sounds great. Yeah. Yep. Looking forward to that. We're going to have a lot of great shows this year, Doug. We've got a really good pipeline of stuff coming up. You're just going to love some of the stuff coming your way from Real Science Radio. So for Doug McBurney, my name is Fred Williams, host of Real Science Radio. May God bless you. Yeah.